are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. talking for months about the renewal of this room, this sanctuary. It was built 50 years ago, and it's kind of tired and a little bit worn and needs a whole lot done to it, uh, both physically and aesthetically and then in every other way. And so we've been talking about it for months. And last night, I'm sorry, last Sunday night, we met together down at the Bricktown Event Center with over a thousand of us in the room. And uh, that night, many people made commitments saying that uh, over the next three years, uh, by faith, I'm going to uh, give this much money toward the renewal of this room. And so we were very grateful, and it was an awesome night. How many of you got to be there? Was it great, uh, the time that you spent there? It was super, super good. I loved it, and thanks to everybody involved. So what we're going to do over these next few weeks, realizing that... uh, Even though we had over a thousand folks there, we probably had over a thousand folks not there. And over these next two Sundays, we're going to ask you, if you haven't made a commitment yet to the renewal of the building, to to feel free to do so. And uh, you can pick up a pledge card from anybody in the lobby wearing a name tag, any greeter. It's, It's an envelope, and you can put it back in, seal it. And either drop it in a connect box or hand it back to an individual. You can also make your commitment on the BFC app under the tile Beyond and uh, make a commitment that way. However, we really wanted everybody to experience what we experienced last Sunday night. And so over these next two Sundays, for instance, next Sunday, we will be sharing a life transformation story of a young girl whose name is Carrie, young mother whose name is Carrie Sapcut. And you would want to invite a friend to come and see the story of transformation. Um, It's an awesome story of how God has turned her life around. And then, also next Sunday, Dr. David Busick, one of our former pastors, will be preaching. So spread the word uh, to be here next Sunday. I know it's a holiday. Some of you will be traveling, but many of you will be here. And also think about somebody who needs to hear this story of Carrie's and hear Dr. David Busick preach. It'll be a great morning. Then, the following Sunday, December the 8th, we will tell the story of Thaddeus Black and also Chad Dura, a big whoop-whoop for Chad, uh, will be singing an awesome song with the choir. So that's coming up these next two weeks. You'll want to be here for both of those, okay? And if you haven't made a commitment yet, we would love to have your support in this project. All right, done. I love getting to study throughout the week. And come and share with you what God is teaching me. So i got a big word I want to talk about today, okay? In fact, we made it in big letters. If somebody asked you what this word grace means, could you tell them? Or if I said to you, 
hey, here's somebody who doesn't really understand the concept of grace. Do you feel like you would do a pretty good job explaining to them what grace means? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a two-word definition. And do you mind, after I say the word, would you repeat it, or the definition, rather, the phrase, would you repeat it to me? So here we go, okay? A good definition for grace is unmerited favor. Meaning, no merit on my own. Favor has been shown to me. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. But here this awesome thing has happened to me. So it's different than justice, okay? So let me talk to you about justice. Justice is when I get what I deserve. So if I'm driving down the road and and the speed limit is 60 miles an hour, but I'm going 80, and I get pulled over, and the policeman gives me a ticket, I think justice has been served, right? You got, Rick, what you deserved. However, it's different from mercy because mercy is not getting what I deserve. If when I get pulled over by the policeman and he says, I'm going to give you a ticket, and I give him my driver's license and he says, oh, it's your birthday, I'm not going to give you a ticket on your birthday, then that's mercy. So justice is getting what I deserve. Mercy is not getting what I deserve, but grace is different from those. Grace is where I get what I don't deserve. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. But someone has given it to me anyway. That's called grace, okay? So, grace is more like a gift. There was a lady who attended our church a few years ago, and she was a single mom, and she'd gotten in a really tough place in her life, and uh, her car just was finished. Her car just gave up and said, like, I'm, I'm done. I'm not doing anything else. It's over, you know. So she can't afford a car. She doesn't know what she's going to do. And there was this couple in my church who came to me and said, we have a car. This wasn't a beat-up car. It wasn't a really old car. It wasn't a high-mileage car. It was a really nice car. And they said, we are convinced that God wants us to give her this car. We don't need this car anymore. Will you help us give it to her? And so it was, it was awesome. I called her and I said, hey, I really need to talk to you about something. Is there any way you could get to my office on Tuesday afternoon? And so she said, I can. And she had a friend bring her. And she sits down in my office, and she's nervous. She doesn't know why I want to talk to her. Why would the pastor invite me to his office? And so I said to her, the reason I have you here is because somebody has something they want to give you. And so I said, okay. And I reach, and I hand her a set of car keys. And she starts to cry. And I said, this is a really nice car. It's in the parking lot. Do you want to go see it? And she said, yes, and we walk out the door, and she is crying almost uncontrollably at this point, and it's a surprise. All of her friends are there, and this couple is there, and her and her one friend gets in the front seat, the other gets in the back, and they drive around the parking lot of the church. She's all happy. That's what you call grace. She would say, I didn't earn this car. I didn't pay a penny for this car. And, and she would be quick to say, I don't deserve gifts like these. So that's what grace looks like. So when Paul in the Bible talks about the grace of God, he he says it like this. When, When I came into a right relationship with God and I was forgiven of my sins, okay, he says, 
That's what you call grace. In fact, he says it this way in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. He says, we are saved by grace. Being forgiven of sin, coming into this right standing with God, that's grace. And he goes on to flesh it out by saying that this is not something we've done on our own. He says, it is a gift from God. It's not because of my own works. I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. This is something God gave me. We are saved by grace. And then later in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 when he talks about his life, not only the fact that he was forgiven of his sins and made right with God, he thinks about his own spiritual formation, how I've been able to grow in my faith, and how God has used me in ministry of sharing the gospel with many people. And when he looks at his whole life, everything that's happened to him, he says, you know what? I am by I am. I am what I am, rather, by the grace of God. All of this that has happened to me is because of God's grace. Now, here's what I'm going to ask you this morning. And you might say to me, is this really important? And I'm going to say to you, I think it's really important that you know the answer to this. By what ways, by what means, Through what channels has God extended grace into your life? Do you understand what I'm asking you? So, so you've experienced God's grace, right? Well, how did that grace come to you? In other words, what is God's delivery system for grace? How does God transport grace into your life? How does that grace come to you? So there's a man whose name is John Wesley, who lived a couple of hundred years ago. He was an Anglican priest. He was a theologian. He was an evangelist. He's responsible for the Methodist movement. And John Wesley had this phrase that I hope becomes a phrase that you come to understand very well. I hope it becomes a part of your life. And the phrase is, a means of grace. Do you mind saying that after me? Means of grace. And he's talking about the delivery system through which God transports grace to you. How you receive God's grace. By what means? By what channel? In what way does God transport grace into your life? So that's what I want to talk about today. So do you mind opening your Bibles to Acts chapter 2? And I'm going to start reading with verse 42. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Pentecost has happened. Peter has preached. A few thousand people have come to follow Jesus. And then we get a glimpse of the church. And here's what it looks like. Okay? The believers, these early Christians, devoted themselves... Now, the word devoted themselves has four objects coming up in this sentence, okay? Devoted means they were faithful to. They attended to regularly these things. Are you ready for what those things are? They devoted themselves, number one, to the apostles' teaching. If the apostles are teaching, we're showing up. They also devoted themselves to fellowship. 
The Greek word is koinonia. At its heart, it's about sharing. Sharing life, sharing love, sharing community, sharing this Christian walk, sharing resources, okay? Fellowship. Number three, also devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. So this was not only a sacramental remembrance of what Jesus did, but it was probably also a common meal that they ate together. And they devoted themselves, number four, to prayer. So try to imagine what it would be like. If you begin to follow Jesus, then all of a sudden these practices become a part of your daily life. You're listening to the apostles teach. You become a part of this awesome community. And you're loving one another and caring for one another like crazy. These are new friends in your life. You're eating together and you're remembering Jesus constantly. And you're devoted to this act of praying. That infused by the power of the Holy Spirit, spend all of their lives around. So look what happens next. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and the signs performed by the apostles. I mean, God was doing miraculous things and all the believers were together and they had everything in common. What does that mean? Here's what it means. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And look at what happens, okay? Last sentence. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I mean, I want to be a part of that community. So this is God's Word for us. A few months ago, uh, the church gave me uh, an incredible gift. I've received a lot of gifts in my life. I don't know that I've ever received a gift quite like this gift, okay? And the gift the church gave me was the gift of sabbatical. So for seven weeks this summer, I was not here. The church said, we want you to go and we want you to rest some. We want you to nourish your soul. We want you to learn. We want you to grow. We want you to spend this time focused on your journey with Jesus, and so whale went for seven weeks. I got to tell you, it was awesome. It wasn't always easy, but it was awesome. Because as I got away from just the daily grind of life, and I began to spend more time in the presence of God, more time reading, more time praying. God began to show me things in my life that He wanted to change. I remember one morning when I was in Israel, which was part of our sabbatical. I said to my wife and I said to our friends, this is hard. I feel like God is wearing me out. I feel like God is saying, Rick, there's some things in your life that we got to change. There's some things in your life that I'm asking you to surrender. And I began to have this experience with prayer that was very different. Here's what I'm trying to say to you, okay? I'm trying to say to you that, that that sabbatical, that time away, became, you ready for it? A means of grace. It became a channel through which God extended grace to me. It became a way that God extended grace to me. It became a means for God to say, hey, Rick, I want to do some things in your heart. And getting me away on sabbatical was a way of kind of getting me to back off and see my heart as God saw my heart 
and a desire for me to become the person that God dreams about me becoming. So here's what I'm trying to say to you, okay? You are not stuck. You are not left to where you are right now. This whole idea of you becoming like Jesus, more like Jesus, is not a lost cause. It's not like you can't move from where you are to grow in your relationship with Jesus or to become a stronger Christian. So I don't know. If you look at your journey with God and your own spiritual formation and your own growth in your relationship with Jesus, what, what do you give yourself? On a scale between 1 to 10, 1 is what I don't want to be and 10 is what I want to be. Are you a 4? And if you're a 4, are you saying, how can I be a 6? Are you a 7 and are you saying, but I want to be an 8? How do I grow from where I am today to become the person that God dreams about me becoming? And the good news is, God has provided a way for you to grow. He has provided channels, ways, means for you to move from where you are today to being the person that God dreams about you becoming. So here's what I want to say to you this morning about our friend Wesley that I mentioned to go, okay? He's helped a lot of people think about God and grace. At the very heart of Wesley's understanding of spiritual formation, what's spiritual formation mean? How a Christian grows. At the very heart of his understanding of spiritual formation, how a Christian grows, how you can grow, is his concept of means of grace. Channels. Avenues, ways that God extends grace to you to help you grow from where you are now to being the person that you want to become. So, Wesley was called a Methodist, and it wasn't a compliment. They were kind of making fun of him because he was so methodical. He wrote down everything in journals, and he made lists all the time. In fact, he said, there's a lot of things that we are commanded in Scripture to do that become a means of grace to help us grow to become more like Jesus. And he put them in categories, in fact, three categories. Let me give you the first category. He said, first, we have general means of grace. These are things that God calls us to do, okay? And as you do these things, they become ways that God helps you to grow in your faith. And so he says, well, keeping the commandments, denying ourselves, taking up our cross, exercising the presence of God. And you might be going, not feeling helped right now. So he says, well, let's, let's break them down. Let's talk about the next slide. Instituted means of grace. And by that he means these are things that Jesus commanded his disciples to be involved in. So prayer. So what if prayer became a part of your daily life? Would God use prayer to help you experience personal spiritual transformation? What about reading the Bible, searching the Scriptures? What about participating in the Lord's Supper? What about fasting? It's kind of interesting to me, and I'll say it in this room, that uh, fasting has not been something people have been fond of for a long time. But all of a sudden, intermittent fasting in the world of uh, people really being concerned about physical shape is becoming kind of popular. And um, 
I think you could fast for more than one reason. What about Christian conversation? Not just talking to other Christians about football, but actually talking about things of faith. And then he moves on to this other list, and this is prudential means of grace. And he talks about class meetings, which would be a lot like our small groups, or going to prayer meetings. Did you know there's prayer meetings here every week? I go to one on Tuesday night. It means so much to me in my own walk with God. What about covenant and watch night services or love feasts, which really for Wesley was a testimony service, or visiting the sick, or reading devotional classics? So I was on a journey a few years ago, personally. I I had read a book that began me thinking hard about this means of grace idea. So here's what I did. I began to talk to people, anybody I could talk to. If Annette and I had dinner with you during that season of my life, I'd probably ask you this question. Or if I cornered you in a hallway at the church. Or if I taught a Sunday school class, I would always start with this question. I talked to a few hundred people about this. I would come back home and I would write notes in my journal. And here's what I would say. Hey, Clay, can I ask you a question, buddy? Tell me about a season in your life when you experienced spiritual growth. And could you tell me what was going on in your life during that time? And it was amazing. I would come back and I would record what Clay would say to me about, here was a season in my life when I experienced spiritual growth, and I would make note of it. And I would go to a Sunday school class and I would ask 50 people to talk to me, and most of them would. And here's what I learned. All right? About 50% of the people would talk to me about a life-altering experience. And here's what they would say. This is when I grew the most in my faith. I went to the doctor. I had this going on. And I was told that I had cancer. And I'm telling you, Pastor Rick, during that season of my life, I grew more in my faith than I ever have in all of my life together. Or somebody else would say to me, we have a son. Our son began to make bad decisions. It was like he could not make a good decision. We began to pray for him and we worried about him and we took every measure we could for him. But boy, during that season of our life, I mean, we turned to God. Or people would talk about maybe a financial crash in their own life. And during that time of our life, I'm telling you, we turn to God like we have never turned to God. 50% of the people talk to me about a life-altering experience. And I'm telling you what, we got close to God during that time. The other 50% talked about practices. They would say things like, well, we found this church that was just awesome, okay? And somehow we connected with the preaching, and boy, I mean, it was when we went to that church, that was the season of our life that we really began to grow in our faith. Or people would talk to me about one-on-one time with God. I started getting up in the morning a little bit earlier, I would step later at night, and I would read my Bible and I would pray, and I can't begin to tell you what God began to do in my heart when I started spending one-on-one time with God. Or people would talk about these people began investing in my life, either in a small group or just some people that I met. And it was through those relationships that God really began to change me. Or people would talk about, we volunteered, we said yes to serving. Either we started teaching a class, or we went on a missions trip, or we went downtown 
to feed people who were hungry or whatever it was. I'm telling you, Pastor Rick, on a missions trip, I grew more in two weeks than I've grown in the last 20 years. I mean, these were the stories I was hearing. Pastor Rick, we made a commitment to giving. Or we responded to a need. God began to change our hearts. We became more generous. And that giving began to change us completely. I love the stories where people say God brought some people in our lives. They weren't Christian. We began to witness to them. We began to share our faith. They started coming to church with us. We grew so much while we were investing in those people. You know what's interesting to me? That these people here, as I would dig a little deeper, and I would say, hey, during that time that you learned you had cancer, did you become more faithful to church? Oh, we never missed. Do you feel like your prayer life was different? Oh, we, we prayed all the time. Were you into the Word more? It was my sustenance. Were there people in the church walking with you and investing in you? Oh, we couldn't have done it without them. I mean, all the way down the list. Were you quick to share Jesus with others? Were you sh- Absolutely. It's the same kind of story when somebody says... Oh, Pastor, I've been on this missions trip, and I've just gotten home, and I don't want it to end. It's been so awesome. I'm on such a spiritual high. I grew so much. And when I talk to them about, well, tell me what it was like on the missions trip or at the camp or at the retreat. And they say, well, in the mornings we had this worship time together. (laughs) And and then they gave us time just to have one-on-one time with God. And every morning we would all slip off by ourselves and pray and read the Bible. And they put us in small groups to kind of digest what was going on with us. We were volunteering. We were serving while we were there. We were giving. We were sharing Jesus They're talking about practices. Do you understand that this early church devoted themselves to spiritual practices? And do you understand that what happened in the first sentence that I read to you affected the rest of the paragraph? How did that church become such a mighty force How was God imparting grace to them to become the people they were becoming and to have the impact they were becoming having? What channels was God using to impart grace and extend grace to them to become the kind of force that He was rising them up to become? They devoted themselves. So, sometimes when I think about our journeys like this, I feel like, you know, we we know what to do. Um, How many of you kind of have this sense that, oh man, it's Thanksgiving this week and I am not the size I wanted to be going into Thanksgiving? You know what I mean? I kind of wanted to lose a little before the holidays because it's, you know. But there's nobody in the room who doesn't understand the process, right? I mean, if I said to you, do you know how that you lose weight and maintain a healthier life? It's really simple. You, you, You eat less calories than you burn. 
And what's interesting, there's nobody here this morning going, what? Stop it. Are you serious? I mean, we all know it, right? Now, now, now doing it is a different story. It's the same thing with money. Saving money and, and not having great debt. It's a simple formula. You simply spend less money than you bring home. And there is nobody in the room saying, stop it right now. What are you telling me? Give me a pen. Let's write this down. Because you all, you all know it. And you know what's interesting is that in my conversation with you this morning, nobody is going, what? If I start praying and reading my Bible and serving and get in a group and become really faith, faithful, you're telling me that I'm going to grow in my faith? Get out of town. So, see, nobody is, like, shocked. You're all saying, well, yeah. When we were sinners, we practiced sin. In fact, we practiced it so much, we got really good at it. But now that we're Christians, we practice holiness. It's why practice has become so important to us. And I'm just telling you, as I read Acts chapter 2, and I get to verse 42, the apostles' teaching... It would be like us saying we are devoted to the teachings of Jesus, to the teachings of Scripture, to the Word of God. Do you realize that any Christian community that does not commit itself to teaching will eventually adopt the worldview of their culture? Any Christian community that doesn't commit itself to the teachings will eventually adopt the worldview of the culture. I... I'm a little nervous. I'm a little anxious. I'm a little worried because somehow in the world that you and I are living in, it seems to me that the temptation may be as great as it ever has been to let the world tell us what to believe. But Jesus' teachings have never changed. And if we don't devote ourselves to teaching, we're going to look to somebody else to tell us what to believe. They, vote, they devoted themselves to fellowship. It, it's a sharing community. At the, at the heart of the word koinonia, the Greek word translated into fellowship in English is sharing. They shared life together. They did life together. They shared resources with one another. They shared Christian conversation with one another. It was a community. You know, when my girls were growing up, never once did we come home from the grocery store and before we put the peanut butter in the cabinet, we put a label on it and it said, Brittany's. And on the bread, we said Morgan's. And on other things, we said Rick's and Annette's. Never. We are a single family, and whatever's in the house belongs to all of us. And that's the way the early church saw themselves. We are one family. We are a single family, and whatever I have is yours. And that's why when somebody had a need, they said, well, I have something I can sell, and I can help you with your need. And the breaking of bread, the remembrance of Christ, not only shared in this fellowship meal, but also sacramental in their understanding of remembering the sacrifice of Jesus every time we put food in our mouth and dedicated to prayer. Do you realize how that Jesus expressed this intimate relationship with God? When you pray, 
Jesus said, Abba. You know what it means in English? Daddy. You know, Brittany's 31, my oldest daughter. You know what she still calls me? Hey, Daddy. I love it. That's the way Jesus saw the Father in His relationship with Him in prayer. Can you imagine these people coming to follow Jesus and beginning these practices infused by the power of the Holy Spirit? Their lives were spun around. So somebody's looking at me. I mean, a lot of you are looking at me, but somebody's looking at me thinking, Really? This is what you've got for us today. You're giving us a list of things to do. Boy, Rick, my life's already busy. Are you busy doing the right things? Are you busy doing the most important things? I, I don't apologize because I don't want you to have a good life. I want you to have the best life possible. And Jesus calls us to this life because it's the best life possible. Here's what I've never, never experienced in all of my life. I've never had one person say to me, Hey, Rick, I don't, I, I'm not into what you're talking about. I don't, in fact, I don't go to church very much. I'm here today, you know, kind of, it's odd. Uh, I, don't, um, I, don't, I don't do, you know, like prayer and Bible study, okay? I'm not a part of a group. I wouldn't do that. That's weird. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm not going to, I don't volunteer because I don't want to. And I don't give anything away because I feel like my money is my money and I certainly don't share my faith. But may I inform you that I am growing in my relationship with Jesus like you would not believe. I've, I've never, never heard anybody ever say that. Never, never once. The opposite is always true. Pastor Rick, God's doing something in my heart. God is changing me. Really tell me about it. I have found this devotional walk that I'm now on, or I've gotten in this small group, or I started serving, or I'm doing... It's always that story. So, so if we do these things and we kind of earn... No, 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 no. Wesley said, the means of grace will not atone for one sin. You are saved by grace. This is not about earning anything. This is about becoming the person that God dreams every day about you and me becoming. It's not about having a good life. It's about having the best life. Do you mind grabbing a hold of... Uh, what you were handed when you walked in the door this morning. I hope you take the, uh, the one side and you hang on to it. It kind of talks to you about what our, our Christmas Advent looks like this year. You want to hang on to that. But at the bottom of the other card, there's a, there's a connect card that you can tear off. It's only this size. And you can put your name on one side and give us information like Kate said. On the other side, there's some options for you. So I always say to people, we talk about these six practices. Worshiping together, what you're doing right now. One-on-one -on -one time with God. Bible study, prayer. Group life. 
giving of our resources, sharing our faith, and serving. And there's lots of ways to respond. You may say, Rick, I'm doing pretty good in two of those, but I need to really improve in one of those. And and if you want us to help you with one of those, we we would love to reach out and help you. You may say, I just need I just need somebody to help me know how to how to do morning one on one time with God. All you gotta do is just write us a note and we'll get back to you. There's places to check if you want to serve and volunteer. But if we can help you in any way, please just write your name on one side and just tell us what you want help with on the other side. And we will contact you and we will walk with you through this. And then when you filled it out, there's connect boxes at the doors of every door as you exit the sanctuary. Just drop it in one of those red boxes. You want to stand with me? Before we sing, may, may I ask you to bow your heads and, and pray this prayer. It, it simply says this, two words. And after you say these two words, then for the next 30 seconds or a minute, just, just listen. Okay? Just say to the Father, just say these two words. Just say, I'm here. I'm listening. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at BethanyNaz.org.